Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 207 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice, where together with my colleagues we provide advice and assistance to both employers and employees. The way in which we provide advice to many employers is that they join our HR Harbour membership. This is a 12-month contract where you pay monthly for ongoing support and advice in relation to various aspects of employment law and HR including proactive strategy. So we have the silver, gold and platinum service and the prices range from £210 per month inclusive of that and that includes the ongoing telephone and email advice right through to being your essentially outsourced HR partner under the platinum service. So if you're looking at getting some support in relation to your HR and employment law or you're already with an existing provider, but you're looking for an alternative, then why not get in touch for a no obligation discussion and I can provide you a quote with all of the information that you might need. We are finding that there are a number of businesses who are joining our HR Harbour membership because they see the great value in the service that we provide. So if you'd like to get in touch, then I would love to have a chat with you either by Teams or over coffee or by telephone. So you can contact me directly via my email, which is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk or alternatively, you can call the main office number on 01983 897 003 and speak to my lovely colleague, Cathy, who will be happy to arrange a time for a call back. In this week's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be covering the key issues that give rise to employment tribunal claims because we're seeing an uplift in employment tribunal claims of late and I thought it'd be really important to highlight some of those key issues and areas where you can make some small changes to reduce the risk to your business. So without further ado I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So as I said we are seeing a, an uplift in the number of employment tribunal claims being made. And this, in terms of numbers, is actually getting back to the pre-COVID levels. So during the whole COVID period, we saw a huge drop off in the number of claims. But the number is now returning to the normal. As most people are returning to work, are returning to those kind of conflicts and all of the issues that arose before. But there is, of course, a common thread to many of the reasons why those claims arise in the employment tribunal. And this podcast is based on my experience and experience of my colleagues in relation to the reasons and also how to avoid them. So currently, again, this is in my experience, the most common claims in the employment tribunal that we're dealing with are in relation to constructive unfair dismissal and disability discrimination. Now, we act for both employers and employees in relation to employment tribunal matters. So this is both defending and bringing claims. Now, constructive unfair dismissal, for those of you who don't know or who may know a little bit but want to have clarification, is a claim that employees can bring when they are essentially resigning as a result of their employer's behaviour. Now, the reason why constructive unfair dismissal is perhaps more common than unfair dismissal claims is because 
many employers these day, days do recognise that employees who have been employed for more than two years can bring a claim for unfair dismissal if they're dismissed without having a fair reason or a potentially fair reason for dismissal. So employers are generally mindful of that and you don't get as many kind of straight up unfair dismissal claims as you do constructive unfair dismissal claims. Now constructive unfair dismissal claims again in my experience tend to arise where relationships have broken down, things have been going on for a long period of time, there has been no real intervention to try to fix those relationships and so it leads to a situation where employees have exhausted the grievance process, they've maybe been off sick, they just can't continue to work there and so they resign and pursue a claim. So those are the kind of things it tends to be festering over a long period of time before it leads to the point in which somebody resigns. Now that's not always the case, there might be some short term issues that lead to it but generally, again in my experience, it seems to be based on those longer term festering issues. And then secondly, disability discrimination. And now this tends to go hand in hand with constructive dismissal I have to say, although not always. Um, What we're seeing is an Uh, again an uplift in the number of people who have claims in relation to disability discrimination whether that be for direct discrimination uh, for indirect discrimination or for failure to make reasonable adjustments those tend to be the three elements of discrimination that, that are the most common again in our experience and so this is where employees have a long-term health condition that qualifies them as a disabled person and then they feel that they've been treated unfairly to their detriment or their employer has failed to um, make those reasonable adjustments and they feel that they can't continue to work. So those are the most common claims that we are currently dealing with in relation to employment tribunal matters. Now I talked about the uplift in the number of claims and the statistics that are available currently say that in quarter two of 22-23 there have been 18,000 claims received by the employment tribunal, so an increase than in recent years. The highest maximum award in the Employment Tribunal was for race discrimination in 2021-22 and that was for 228,000. There were 630 claims received compensation for unfair dismissal and the maximum award was 165,000 with the average being 14,000. So you can see that in terms of the potential for compensation, it can be very wide ranging, you know, the average being around 14, 15,000, right through to the sort of 200,000 mark. So for employers and especially small businesses, it can be extremely costly to find yourself defending an employment tribunal claim, not least with the potential for the compensation, but also in terms of Uh, the cost of legal advice and assistance and also the management time and the resources involved in that. So what we're going to talk about today is some of the common reasons but also then the ways in which you can mitigate that. So why do employment tribunal claims arise? Well there are multiple reasons and when you're dealing with people it's never straightforward. There's never really two scenarios the same but these are some of the things that often come up. The first is that decisions are being made by employees without authorisation or the necessary training. So this is where we're seeing decisions made by managers or supervisors without taking advice or taking it further or going to HR and they have a lack of knowledge or of the risks um, or the process 
and that's where they're making decisions and taking action which then leads to claims either for constructive unfair dismissal discrimination or or even unfair dismissal we've seen recently where a manager made a decision to dismiss somebody told them that they were being dismissed without seeking advice and it turns out that they had been employed for more than two years and they had a very good claim for unfair dismissal so it is a highest risk of a successful claim in my view if a decision is made by somebody who has the authority or in a position that they could seemingly make a decision that could impact the business the second is in relation to the lack of process and or paperwork so this is normally where somebody makes a knee-jerk reaction or makes a decision based on emotion like in the moment and they don't have any of that paperwork or process to back it up it's where you know we're often asked by people we need to make a decision now we need to take action immediately this is urgent now it's not necessarily urgent because it's been going on for some time but but in the mind of the person who's dealing with it they feel like it is urgent for the employer it's something that needs to be dealt with immediately and it's when those decisions are made with emotion that often it can lead to problems later on so without having that evidence without having that process you can be very difficult to justify your decision there are also situations where there's been a lack of previous evidence or discussions or discussions have taken place but no record has been kept of them and so again you're trying to rely on past events or a culmination of things to maybe issue someone with a warning or disciplinary but actually you don't have that evidence to back it up and again there's lack of that informal process or any process that leads up to the final decision that creates a really high risk of a potential claim in relation to discrimination claims you know it's one of the areas where that are more likely to arise as we're saying particularly in relation to disability discrimination so that failure to make or consider reasonable adjustments that lack of awareness of disability and the actions that needed oftentimes employers managers supervisors don't necessarily realize that by an employee making a disclosure about a long-term health condition that they've potentially triggered the requirement to look at reasonable adjustments and so it's where somebody discloses something to you either in passing or however they might do it it's taking the time to follow that up if you don't you could then end up with a potential claim and then the other element of discrimination that is um, potentially high risk is in relation to sexual harassment. So that's due to the actions of others or other employees that you have no control over, really. And that can lead to potential claims. The next area that is creating a high risk currently and where claims are arising is this growth in whistleblowing claims. I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's a fallout from COVID because people became more aware of their rights in relation to whistleblowing because of making health and safety disclosures about COVID. There were lots of high profile cases about it. So maybe people are more attuned to their rights in relation to the protection from whistleblowing. We're seeing more cases where particularly employees who have less than two years employment are seeking to claim that their dismissal was due to whistleblowing or that they've been disciplined or treated in some way to their detriment because they whistleblew. So that is where they make a protected disclosure about something related to you know the law or health and safety or a variety of things that could be covered by that. And also there is a higher prevalence in relation to employers sort of ignoring or brushing those concerns when they are originally raised under the carpet or not taking them seriously at the time because there is no substance to it 
But then later on, the employee is saying, well, I told you about health and safety issue and you didn't deal with it. And now you've dismissed me. So it must be to do with that. So again, it's really important that managers, employers are really aware of the need to follow up on any disclosures when they are made. And that takes me nicely on to the next point, which is about the lack of follow up. So again, we're finding that there is increasingly likelihood of a claim where employees provide information, it's not acted upon or recorded in any way, where allegations have been made, which are seemingly dismissed or dealt with informally, lack of follow up in relation to medical disclosures, as I was saying, in relation to disability discrimination, and, and also this failure or failure to follow up on inappropriate behaviours within the workforce so that they kind of become the norm until such times as, you know, things blow up and somebody's dealt with about it, but there's been no previous follow up or discussions that have taken place that can create a high risk of a claim. The next reason why I think employees bring claims or potentially bring claims in the employment tribunal is in relation to these feelings of unfairness that may be caused by a lack of transparency or lack of communication. So we're seeing employees who are feeling aggrieved about decisions that are made and because they're not clear on the reason for those decisions or how you've come about that decision, they feel that there's been some other underlying reason for it. Or there's a lack of communication with employer and employee. I always say that actually when you look at employment tribunal claims, those that succeed or those that end up in the employment tribunal, for example, you can often track back in most cases to a time or place where there was either a lack of communication or a miscommunication in some way that then has, you know, led on and grown and built and sort of snowballed into a potential employment tribunal claim. So some dishonesty as well, where there's sort of a lack of candor from the employer, where maybe they've sort of misled somebody to think that they are fantastic because they want to avoid having a difficult conversation and they haven't really been entirely honest. But then later on, they decide to make a decision that seems at odds with what they've said to the employee before. That's another situation where we find that employment tribunal claims can arise. And just this general poor management behaviours, where there's this culture within an organisation that's been um, created by up high or has been allowed to continue within the organisation, that in turn can also lead to this unfairness that leads to potential claims. And then the final point where I think there are risks for employers of tribunal claims arising is where there's really poor handling of relationship issues. I talked at the beginning about the fact that constructive unfair dismissal cases seem to be one of the most common claims that are made at the moment in our experience and a lot of this is to do with that poor handling of those relationships and things being allowed to fester so it's failing to address concerns and the fallouts of those um, at the very earliest stage in the process. A lack of action in relation to grievances, you know, letting things go, not really getting to the root of the problem. And in our experience, generally, formal grievance processes do lead to dissatisfaction all round. And usually there is a loser. So the earlier you can nip in the bud those issues, the less likely it is to turn into a much larger issue and potentially result in a constructive dismissal or discrimination claim. So those are the reasons why, or the common reasons why, in our experience, myself and my colleagues, employment tribunal claims do arise. But the, the main thing to take away from this, I suppose, is that anyone can make a claim for free. Um, even if there's no substance to the allegation, 
if you have no paperwork or process in place, then an individual is more likely to make a claim and chance it because you are on the back foot. You're then having to defend things when you would otherwise have that paperwork and proof in place at the very earliest stage. It's also easier for people to come up with their own reason why they think you might have made a decision, let's just say about dismissal, if you haven't been through that process, if you haven't been honest with them from the outset. So I've just wanted to finalise by highlighting one of the key risks for you is if you have no paperwork and no process in place, you are immediately on the back foot as then the burden is really on you as the employer if the case does reach the stage where an employee brings an employment tribunal claim. So having highlighted to you what are the common reasons or common risks that are in place that lead to employment tribunal claims, I want to just go through some of the ways in which that you can mitigate those risks. And really it's taking it back to basics. The basics of being a good employer are communication, fairness and process. And if you have all of those things in place, then it will help to mitigate that risk and reduce the likelihood of someone being aggrieved or someone pursuing a claim against you. And critically, as I was saying, I can't highlight enough how important communication and good communication is with staff about all kinds of things, whether that be on a wider level as a team or on an individual level. Communication and the follow-up is critical to reducing those problems from arising. The second thing is not to let things go. So if there are issues that come up, you should address them in a really timely manner. Don't wait, don't save things up, don't think, oh, it's a small thing, it will go away. You know, really do deal with it, even if it's just a case of having a conversation and making a note of that conversation. Setting out the expectations that you want and following up is crucial. And any concerns raised must be documented and followed up, however minor or incorrect they may be from an employee. An employee's flippant comment about something that you disregard could come back to haunt you later on. The second thing is keeping records, you know, keeping a note of conversation. So following up from the not letting things go, you know, make a note of what's said, even if it's a really handwritten scribbled note, you know, send an email um, and keep a note of those things, particularly if there are issues made about health and safety or individual disclosures or complaints. In the moment notes to support the history of events is the best evidence that you can have. Yes, if you don't have that, you can produce a witness statement. It will be your witness evidence. But when it's one person's witness evidence against another, the person who has those in the moment notes of those discussions or conversations or follow-ups will be the person that the employment tribunal ultimately believe and whose account they will believe if there is a dispute between two versions of events. I can't highlight that enough to you you have to think like you might end up having to defend this in the employment tribunal if it gets to that point. The next thing I really want to emphasise is about pausing before action. One of the reasons I said the common reasons why tribunal claims arise or issues arise is because people make emotional decisions. They get to the point where they've had enough and they just want to deal with it there and then. They have to get it off their chest. They have to get rid of that person right now. But actually, Rarely is there any need for that immediate action. So just take a pause and reflect and that will save so much hassle in the long run. 
if it really is an urgent situation, you need to get rid of the person, you need to get them out of your way, you need to get them off site, whatever it might be, because they're a risk or you've just had enough, then suspend them on full pay first and seek advice or take that pause and then take action. It's much easier to justify a decision to suspend somebody than it is to justify a decision to dismiss them in a situation where you followed no process. And making a quick phone call, seeking some advice before you do take that step can save you many hours in the long run and time and hassle in the future. The next I've already talked about and emphasised over and over again, which is just follow some form of process. Assume that every decision that you make in relation to employees could be scrutinised by the court or employment tribunal. And if you've followed a process and you've documented your decision making, that will really help you in the long run. One of the first things I said about the reasons why employment tribunal claims often arise is because decisions are made by those people who have a lack of training or understanding about the risks. So one of the things that you can do, of course, to mitigate that is to train your managers. Train your managers and supervisors in relation to the risks of the decisions that they make and the process that they must follow. All managers, in my view, all people managers should have an understanding of the basic principles and risks in relation to things like discrimination and unfair dismissal at the very basic level. And regular communication with those managers and employee relations um, that should form part of managers' KPIs, in my my view. It should be part of their fundamental part of their job role is that communication piece and being good at you know dealing with employees and keeping them up to date um, and following up on things. And finally, in relation to issues where there are fallouts in relationships or those things that we're talking about that start small and they kind of fester, if you have those kinds of issues going on within your organisation it's important to nip them in the bud and include some kind of alternative resolution process that doesn't pit one employee against another. So as I was saying, when it comes to grievances, often there is a loser. So where you have relationship issues between, let's just say, two colleagues or a manager and and colleague, you know, get in there fast, offer them mediation, try to get to the root of the problem and seek to resolve it in a way that doesn't result in a formal grievance. Because someone will lose, someone will resign, someone will go off sick, someone may bring a claim for constructive dismissal or discrimination. So getting right into that issue at the very beginning and resolving it quickly can ultimately prevent things from escalating later on. There you have it, those are my common reasons why employment tribunal claims are arising at the moment and the ways in which you can take steps to to reduce that risk for your business or organisation. If you want any further advice in relation to this, if you want training for your managers or if you just want these kind of messages reiterated to your staff about how best to deal with things, then that is something myself and my team can do for you. We can conduct our training in person, we can do it over teams, we can provide you with guidance, we can provide you with anything you need really in order to educate your employees and your staff so that you can really reduce that risk and as well as reducing the risk it helps to create a great culture within your business or organisation and it helps to prevent those problems and actually to make you a really great employer as well. 
So if you want any further information about the training or resources that we can provide specifically for you, then again, please don't hesitate to get in touch. My email is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk or alternatively, you can call the office on 01983897003. Thank you so much for listening to the end all right through to the end of the podcast, should I say. Uh, I really appreciate you listening. And if you have found value in this podcast, then you could do me a huge favour by liking, subscribing and sharing this podcast or adding a comment or a review wherever you're listening to it or if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment below. It really does help other people to find us and also makes it seem much nicer for me when I'm creating all of the content for you. So thank you so much for listening and I look forward to bringing you the next podcast in two weeks time. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.